Hello, I'm your host, Grayson Brulte. Welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today, a show about emerging technology and trends in mobility with leaders and innovators who make it all happen. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to be joined by Jim Mullen, Executive Director, Clean Freight Coalition. On today's episode, he'll discuss the future of decarbonized trucking. We hope you enjoy this episode. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Grayson. Happy to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Happy to have you here because you're a leader in trucking. You take a very pragmatic approach to trucking. You're looking at things through a real-world lens, and your coalition is focused on choice for the trucking industry. You, you, you want to decarbonize trucking, but you want your members to have the choice that make economic sense for their businesses so they don't go out of business, and I, I applaud you for that. Jim, Senators Klobuchar and Ricketts are, are looking to introduce the, the Flex Fuel Fairness Act. What impact will that have on the trucking industry if that indeed becomes law? Well, it would be very positive impact on the trucking industry and be a very positive impact on the environment as well. That's a, a incentives for ethanol production and use of ethanol in uh, heavy trucks and along with battery electric as well. But this is a, a clean fuel and the, the, the singular focus that our policymakers have placed on battery electric comes not only at the expense of the industry, but also the expense of the environment. If you, you could start incentivizing and utilizing these cleaner energies today to power these heavy trucks. The environment absolutely benefits today. And like a lot of things in life, you follow the dollar and all these incentives going towards battery electric. So you're not producing as much of the other sources as we should be. And again, that's the bottom bottom line detriment goes towards the environment and of course the consumer. Why is there such a a focus on on going to class eight electric. I understand the push on, on the passenger side, but the class eight side, I want to give you some economics here. You're, a new class eight diesel truck on average is $160,000 and a class eight electric is $457,000 or 118% more. That's a lot of money. You have some economists saying that we're going into recession, some that we're not. There's the, the bottom line is the Fed's slowing down the economy. And how is a, a trucking company going to come up with an additional 118% more capital outlay? It seems outrageous, and especially in this economic environment. It is outrageous. And, and two things, not only is that $118,000 capital outlay just for the purchase, but you throw in the federal excise tax, which is 12% uh, above and beyond just the purchase price. Federal excise tax was a tax which was implemented to fund World War One, Grayson, World War One, And it's still on the books, and it's 12% for uh, heavy, heavy vehicle purchases. So what was the number used for what, for the new truck? $457,000 on average. So call it 450, 10% is 45,000 plus nine. So that's $54,000 just in the federal excise tax. That's why our, our group, our coalition and our members are all advocating for the elimination of this federal excise tax. A, it's no longer necessary, obviously, although it's, it just goes to the coffers, but it's, it's counterproductive going back to the, what's available today, technologies available today with an immediate beneficial impact on the environment and refreshing the fleets uh, with new equipment would absolutely provide that immediate benefit. We have to, in my opinion, remove the excise tax. And let's look at California, for ex example, here. 52% of the Class A trucks on the road today are, are 2010 or older models. If we remove the excise tax and offer choice, say, okay, you like to get an LNG, you like to get a hydrogen, you like to get a renewable diesel. That's going to have a positive win-win for the environment, but yet it's battery electric or nothing, it seems. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And and we will talk more, I'm sure, about some of the limitations of battery electric. The range of battery electric is not sufficient in a lot of applications. The added weight of the, of the two 16,000-pound batteries is, is 
reduces the payload. And so there's all types of, of problems with it. Why is the issue that I can't really understand, Greg? So why is it just this almost singular focus on battery electric? And I'm not sure if it's because folks that have promulgated these regulations and policies don't understand that, that the battery electric <laughs> truck is a much different species than the passenger vehicle. You know, we can talk about the infrastructure to, to abide by carb guidelines on battery electric zero emission trucks. If the nation adopted that, you want to know how many battery chargers would have to have built between now and 2032? 1.4 million, 1.4 million. <laughs> That's 15,000 chargers a month to electrify the fleets. So it's <laughs> that's outstanding number, right? It's it's huge, astonishing number. And I don't know that anybody's talking about it. And, and you know, how are you going to electrify the generation and distribution of enough electricity for that 1.4 million chargers? It's just these discussions, they're being had at some levels, but apparently not at the levels that need to be had. And so we're, we're trying to inject that conversation into the, into the situation. Our mutual friend Lee White always has this great line, and, and I'm going to quote Lee. Why wasn't a trucker at the table for these conversations? You know, that's a great question. I don't know. Because it's lack of foresight, I guess. Maybe, maybe, maybe they think that the truckers don't have the environment in their interest, which is crazy. A couple of facts for you. What one truck emitted in emissions in 1988 is the equivalent of 60 trucks today, right? So one to 60. We've eliminated about 99% of all emissions from the, the, the tailpipe, the stack, uh, since 1988. The, the industry has made tremendous strides and are very good stewards of the environment. And so these regulations, which really kind of pull these, these timelines out of the thin air and trying to cram them down the throat, not only of the trucking industry, but really the nation at large. And we, we'll talk more about this, but we talk about 118% for the purchase of a battery electric truck. You're going to have to have more trucks because you have less payload because you have 16,000 pound batteries in a lot of these applications. The range is 180 miles, maybe 200 on, on some applications. So the cost to the industry is going to be astronomical. Well, the industry can't absorb it. So as you said, you're either going to go out of business or you're going to pass some of that cost along. So the cost to the consumer is, is absolutely going to go up. And you talk about here we are in times of, of inflation, talks of recession, and now you're trying to throw this gasoline under the fire, it just doesn't add up. It's a it's a recipe for disaster. Wall Street would love it. The, Powell would have to cut rates. If that's where they're going to go, Powell would have to cut rates to stimulate the economy because these policies are going to drive us into a deep, dark, nasty recession. It really it, it's that the, 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 again, the only saving grace is all of the timelines are crazy and unattainable, but that gives some breathing room. And, and that's where the folks like the members of the Clean Freight Coalition and your platforms can, can perhaps put some some sanity in this conversation because we have to over have to reevaluate what we're trying to do here. There was a letter signed by 88 Democratic members of Congress last week asking the EPA to adopt the CARB greenhouse gas three timelines. So you imagine if that were to occur, if the EPA were to adopt CARB regulations across the entire country. That would absolutely put us in a tailspin. That would, that would be very, very hard to recover from. I, I talk a lot about, you know, the the COVID pandemic, 
And, um, you know, I was the acting administrator of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration when that pandemic hit. And I saw very up close all of the pinch points within that supply chain, things that you wouldn't expect one little pinch point here to have such wide consequences down the, the chain. And, you know, that was caused by a never seen before basically world pandemic. You're going to see that type of pain in the supply chain if, if this comes to fruition. And it's not because of a worldwide pandemic. It's just because of really, really bad policies and regulations. It, it, it's self-inducing. The, the timeline for CARB and the, the Truck and Engine Manufacturers Association, they agreed to it. I'll use the word. You know this word. Too many people know this word. You could say there was collusion because it says by 2045, 100% of all medium and heavy-duty trucks sold in California have to be zero emissions. They're trying to make that national. And in response to that, the Clean Flake Coalition released a press release, and I'm going to quote, say the following. The CFC and its members are committed to the sustainable and affordable transition to zero emission trucks. However, the unachievable standards and timelines set forth by California regulators jeopardize the entire supply chain and risk truck dealers having limited compliant products to sell and fleets holding onto their trucks longer. You're right. And, let, and I'm going to let's go back into the supply chain. There, there's not a lot of talk about the supply chain snags today, but there still is. Look at ABB Power Grids, wholly owned subsidiary of Hitachi. Look, look at Siemens, two of the largest large-scale infrastructure suppliers for heavy-duty electric trucking. ABB Power Grids, they don't even um, have a certification to bring it to America yet, and there's a two-year delay to manufacture it. So now if you're going to bring on 15,000 chargers a month and there's already a two-year delay, where's the equipment going to come from? This has a recipe of mess, uh, just a flat-out <laughs> economic mess. Yeah, an ap absolute mess. And it's not just economic mess. So when we talk about, when the, when the coalition talks about the infrastructure necessary to electrify uh, fleets throughout the country, there's a couple things you got to talk about, of course. You got to talk about the minerals. The minerals required to build these batteries. Some of the countries that, that are major suppliers of these minerals, China, the Congo, I mean, these aren't exactly the most reliable trading partners, right? And so you, you start at the minerals. Where are we going to come up with all this? And I know that, that Congress has pushed some money towards, which is great, towards additional mining efforts. But again, this, this isn't Hollywood where you, you build it and they will come. You have to be realistic about these things. And so you look at the minerals, then look at the grid. Atri did a study that's, that um, found that, concluded that to electrify the heavy truck, freight truck industry, it would consume 14% of the existing electric infrastructure grid, 14%. To do just the long haul space, 10.5% of the existing infrastructure. So you have this generation problem. So, of course, we're not using coal-fired uh, factories anymore. Nuclear is really nowhere to be found. How are we going to do this? Wind and solar? We don't. The storage and transmission of wind and solar is very problematic. And so then, you know, what I did is I went and talked to some folks that build these power plants. I said, okay, if, if State X said to you today, I want to build a power plant today, how long would it take you? And he said, well, if that State X is Texas, it's a little over seven years. And by the way, that's the fastest state in the country that which you can build a power plant because of, of the permitting process. Seven years. And we're going to consume 14% of the existing grid to electrify just the trucks. If, you, if they're all passenger vehicles, actually study says it's close to 40% of the existing grid. So where's all this power gonna come from? 
So you've talked about the minerals being problematic. You've talked about the generation being problematic. We've talked about how all these charges that have to be built on timelines that can't be achieved. And by the way, when I talk to fleets, they say that the quickest I've heard anybody tell me they can get chargers installed and operational in their in their terminals has been three years. Three years is the quickest I've heard. So a lot of them are when they go to the utility providers and say, hey, look, I need 10, 10 chargers. These utility folks, they're going to laugh at them. A, a large motor carrier wanted 10 charging stations in a terminal in Illinois. It wasn't even that big of a terminal for them. I think they were in maybe 60 trucks through there. And the utility providers started doing the math on how much load was necessary to actually feed electricity to these 10 chargers. They said, that's greater than the entire electricity we produce for the entire city. There are 10 chargers. So here, here's an example. To charge two battery electric trucks for one year is the same as, as providing enough electricity to power up the White House for a year. Two trucks is the same as the White House. Let that let that resonate. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a huge problem. And so that's why we, we, we you know, we, we want to be commonsensical about it. We want to eliminate the FET, incentivize, whether it's ethanol, CNG, hydrogen, all these other <clears throat> solutions. By the way, hydrogen, it, it's it's going to be a, a good solution in the long haul space. It, but it's problematic right now that the, the cost is 10x and, and there's issues with it. But you got to stick with it because from what we can see, it's, <clears throat> it may be the best solution in the long haul space. So this battery electric Singular focus just is, is a recipe for disaster, and, and we're all going to pay for it. We are, and the, the U.S. consumer is going to pay for it because it's going to have an impact on their wall. They're going to see it in the cost of goods, and you never know. It takes one crazy politician to say, "Oh, let's let's raise a tax," and it's going to it's going the American consumer is going to pay for that, so they can play, pay for this boondoggle. But what I don't understand, and, and there are some very large fleets that are looking into this, is renewable diesel. ExxonMobil, one of the largest oil companies in the world by market cap, they're investing heavily in renewable diesel. Dan Amon, a former CEO of Cruise, he's running the the renewables division. They're investing in Canada. Canada, I'm a lot more comfortable dealing with Canada than I am dealing with China or the Congo. Politically safe for us. Why is renewable diesel not part of this conversation? Because that that fleet, that gentleman at that fleet who's their chief sustainability officer, he said, this is a really great interim step. He said, nobody wants to take steps. They just want to jump right to battery. Mm. But yet, when you say jump to battery, nobody wants to pay for it. Yeah. So why is renewable diesel not part of this conversation? I, I don't know. It, it's it's maddening. And if you talk about so renewable diesel, biodiesel, both both good alternatives. So <laughs> there, are, there are companies now that are literally using manure, right, for the, for the renewable. And so if you, you look at the economic or the environmental benefit, of you take away the the emissions from literally the manure and you're now powering trucks with that and so literally not only we talk a lot about zero emissions or net zero this is positive net positive right and and we're just not putting enough money into it and you you we keep talking about the why the why the why i wish i had that answer grayson i i, I think that it's ignorance i hope that it's ignorance and not something other than that because those are very, very viable solutions and it provides immediate impact and environment today. There's a little bit of good news. Um, you know, California announced the other day that um, clean diesel now accounted for greater percentage of, of consumption in California than traditional diesel. So that's good news. <clears throat> the kind of the, the thorn in the side, however, with that scenario is they're incentivizing the heck out of it, which is great. <clears throat> But they're doing so by taxing traditional diesel. So you're talking about where's that cost going? It's going again 
to the consumer. So we got to quit putting the entire burden on the backs of the trucking industry and find a better way to incentivize, uh, whether it's bio, whether it's renewable diesel. And that's great that the companies, uh, what's the name of the company you just referred to, Grayson? Covenant, Covenant yeah. Logistics. Oh, yeah. oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> I have had numerous chats, chats with Matt Cleland uh, at Covenant yes, about, <laughs> about these, these sources. And, I, and actually, I mean, he, He's a great spokesperson for it. I mean, he, he, he's aware that there are immediate benefits and why we're not putting more money and effort into it is, is kind of mind-boggling. Yeah, it is mind-boggling because the renewable diesel use in the United States is accelerating, and this is according to the energy, informa- uh, energy Information. Today, there's 11 domestic plants in six states producing 1.7 million gallons per year, up from roughly thir- 1.3 million gallons in 2021. So clearly, there's a demand from the fleet side, but... Yet politicians are turning a blind eye. So here we are. Let's, I'm going to give you a hypothetical scenario, and you could think I'm crazy, but let's just say that you, you, we saw what happened at UPS. We saw what happened at Yellow. And Friday, we find out if the big three all go on strike because to get what they want, the 40% pay increase. What if the trucking industry went on strike, even for one day, and said, if you're not going to allow us to take steps, we'll shut down the economy. Would that finally force some action to have a compromise? It would be very interesting to see, that's for sure. I mean, it, again, going back to the COVID pandemic, you know, we were all up in arms because we couldn't get, you know, the types of products we normally get within 24 hours, right? It, it, and, and everybody was going mad. And guess who, who saved the day? Truckers. Truckers absolutely saved the day. And that was only three years ago. And now <laughs> the thank you they get is... <laughs> We're going to put these unattainable timelines on you at at insane costs, and you're just going to have to deal with it. And your question earlier, you know, Lee's question earlier, why wasn't a trucker at the table? I don't know, right? They they give give uh, kudos to trucking when it suits them, um, whether politically or otherwise. But they should be a constant part of that dialogue. I think I may have mentioned earlier. There's a uh, a joint office between the Department of Energy and the Department of Transportation that was set up to its sole purpose, Grayson, is to help facilitate the electrification of the, the country's <clears throat> vehicles, including heavy trucks. Got a good solid group of people uh, in that in that joint office, but it became pretty clear to our coalition when we talked to them that they did not have the trucking experience. And we started telling them some of the challenges that you and I have talked about and some others. And I think it became very apparent to them quickly that it's going to be much more difficult in the trucking space than the passenger car space. And they're not ready for it. And I'm told that they've gotten some folks on board now that do have some trucking experience. I just hope it's the ones with the right kind of trucking experience uh, to be, to be beneficial. But I guess the point of that, Grayson, is I just don't think that they they sufficiently educated themselves before they started setting these standards. And then part of the problem, you know, you talked about that agreement between the truck engine manufacturers and uh, CARB. This isn't a criticism, but it's it's factual, right? So the marketing materials that companies put out have consequences. And, And when some of these folks start saying they can achieve X emission standards on these on some certain timetables, then I think other folks 
are under the false assumption that that is, well, if they can make a truck that can do this, then certainly that truck can fit into our nation's supply chain and our fleets. Well, that's a fallacy. Just because they can produce a truck doesn't mean that that truck is reliable, affordable, sustainable, can be used in all applications. And so it would have been real easy if a trucker was involved in that conversation to say, hey, that's great that you can produce a truck that can go 180 miles and you're taking away 16,000 pounds of my payload, but that doesn't work. That just doesn't work in real life. And by the way, it hasn't been tested. You know, if, if, if you see a repeat of 2010 where some of those new engines came into production and had horrible uptime and all types of, of mechanical problems and issues, you know, that almost crippled, it did cripple a couple of OEMs and it caused a huge problem disruption within the supply chain and certainly the truck market. And, you know, that was only, what is that, not even 25 years ago. A mass terrible crisis since Monday morning, not even 15 years ago, <laughs> not even 15 yeah. years ago. And here we are, we're right back at it. Because if you had a trucker at the table, they might say, you want to do this, let's work on an easing plan for drayage, sub 90 miles, and then figure out from an electrical infrastructure standpoint, do we have enough a conduit on both sides? Can we do this? Okay, it's going to take three years to get the equipment build it out maybe you start with 10 percent, 20 percent, and ease in on the drayage routes if you go from say the port of la san pedro to fontana that's a well-known well-traveled drayage route maybe you pioneer with that but yet it's all or nothing there's no practicality zero practicality <clears throat> i just thought of this this morning in fact when i was thinking about things for you and i to talk about uh you know in the in the electronic logging device world if you run short haul, which is 150 miles or less, you don't need an electronic logging device if you're a, truck, a trucker. You could, you could make it very similar to that. If, if you want to take advantage of the, the, the electronic logging device <clears throat> short haul rule, you got to be on a zero emission truck or, or you know, a BV or a CNG or whatever. Just again, I don't know if that's the right method, but we do allow for those types of things regulatorily on other areas, uh, whether it's the farm exemption, agriculture exemption, the short haul exemption for ELDs, you could do that the very same application, right? If, if you're a short haul, you got to be running on a zero emission truck. It's a positive step. And then if you're going to do long haul, you can use the renewable diesel or you can use uh, hydrogen. You can use another alternative because it, it makes practical sense. So let's just say the courts don't overturn CARB and 2045 rolls around and we have one of those, oh, you insert you know, the four letter word right there. Do we start to see the freight starting to shift to the uh, from the port of LA to East Coast ports of Savannah, Charleston, and Jacksonville. We're already starting to see some volumes move there because of the union issues of the port. But do we see an, acceler an acceleration? Because you're starting to see in Savannah now, for example, they're building up their infrastructure very, very significantly to expand that port. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, you're right. You're seeing it already, whether it's Georgia, South Carolina. Uh, and I think you'll continue to see that. And you know, when we talk about California, it's not just California. I think it's what a 14, 15 other states now have have opted in on certain parts of CARB standards. So it's not just California. And like I said earlier, if those 88 Democrats uh, that signed that letter to the EPA had their way, it would be nationwide. We'd be under the CARB standards. So, yeah, it's not just California. It's other states, but it's, it's predominantly on the East Coast or the West Coast. And you see, I think there's one up in the Northeast. Uh, yeah, I think, Grayson, you're absolutely going to see continued growth for the ports uh, in Georgia and South Carolina. 
The trucking industry has seen what happens when you have a patchwork of regulations in an interstate commerce industry on, on a number of levels before. And it just is extremely, extremely challenging, if not impossible, to navigate in certain respects. And this could be one of those respects. I mean, could you imagine if, and I've heard people talk about this, you run a battery electric or a zero emission truck in California, hook it up to a diesel truck in Arizona to get the, you know, to, to Texas. The cost that would have to be injected into the, the network to accommodate for that would be pretty severe, not to mention just your, your drivers. It, it would beat all types of problems. So it, it's, it's a problem that continues to be perpetuated by people that don't understand the ramifications or, or, or choose to turn a blind eye to the ramifications, one or the other. And it could also further accelerate the driver shortage. You're, really, you're pushing people out of work. That, that's what's going to happen. Oh, I have to do this, this, and this. Well, oh, no, no. It, just there's so many consequences that, that goes across the board that nobody's taking a holistic approach on this. So where's the pressure on the EPA coming from? Who's putting that pressure? Because whoever putting that pressure needs to sit down with an economist and have a real brutal, honest conversation because they're not going to like what they hear. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the it's the administration and their advisors. That's this is their agenda. They're pushing. Uh, they're fully committed to it. They they haven't shown any indication that they're willing to to back off. In fact, they're maybe even putting their their pedal to the metal even further. So, it's it's a political game. I, I you have to assume right because if you look at the the realities of the situation, the economic and the environmental realities of the situation, and the infrastructure. You'd have to be real dense, Grayson, to not figure out that it just that it doesn't add up. And and these people aren't dense. So it's it's a it's gotta be a political issue for them. I mean these eighty eight senators or members of Congress who just signed this letter. I think if you sat down with them and their staff and, and kind of went over some of the stats we went over, I'm not sure how they would explain that. How how would they explain that they're in favor of, of regulatory timelines that if you look at what, what we're talking about, it just can't be achieved. I don't know what their answer would be. I don't know. You just have to look at passenger cars. It's very publicly documented. There's apps and service dedicated to this. Broken chargers. I, I drove back from Tampa down south in Florida, and we had to stop at two chargers. They were broken. Now, you mentioned that in freight that is mission critical on time. Oh, we're going to stop to go. Chargers broken. We can't go. You're going to have an O, insert another four-letter word there. You're going to have a major problem. The writing's on the wall. We have a problem, but yet there there are solutions to decarbonized trucking. So how do we introduce infrastructure that is both technology neutral and scalable? Well, that's not going to have a detriment to the economics of trucking. Yeah, we have to get over this infatuation with the battery, battery electric. That, that's first of all. You have to get over this infatuation, uh, illogical effects, infatuation effect. And as we talked about, you know, the, the, the Ricketts Klobuchar bill, Cornyn has a bill on hydrogen. You know, there, there's all types of different uh, opportunities out there that, that we're not grasping onto, and it's inexplicable. And again, you know, this is what this coalition, this coalition was formed for the sole purpose is, is to promote public policies that provide for a, a rational, affordable, and sustainable transition to zero emission trucks. We're, we're fully committed to improving the environment, reducing our, our carbon footprint and getting to zero emission. But we've been around, and, and you talk about the membership of, uh, of this coalition, it's the, the fleet. So the American Trucking Association, National 
tank truck carriers, truckload carriers, National Motor Freight Traffic Association, which is the LTL Association. And then you have NATSO, the truck stop operators, the folks that service the, the, the trucks and the drivers. And then you have the American Truck Dealers, which is a division of, of NADA. So you have a, a very wide lens through which we, we have experience in this industry. And across the board, uniformly, it's this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. And here's why. And here's things you can do to help today. And that's why we were, have been formed. That's our task. And we're, we're just going to keep at it. Just have to keep at it, Grayson. You know, hit the hill a lot. Things like your platform, SE's platform, which we greatly appreciate to get our message out. And you'll, you'll see a lot of us, you know, now that the Congress is back in session, you're going to see a lot more of us than you have. You know, we, we just started in, really in April and had, you know, like, like uh, most coalitions, took a, a little bit, a couple months to figure out exactly how to do what we're doing. Um, but now we got our, our feet under us and, and we're, we're running hard. So you'll, you'll see much more of us in the future. You were recently on the Hill. What were those conversations like? They were very productive conversations. And some of them, you know, it's not that we were preaching the choir, but, you know, for instance, meeting with, with Senator Ricketts, he, he knows this issue very, very well. And obviously he's proposing legislation to assist. But we were on both sides of, of the chamber. We we're on the House and the Senate side. Um, had meetings with some Dems. In today's political environment, obviously, you, you really got to work on kind of that low-hanging fruit. And we absolutely believe repealing the federal excise tax is low-hanging fruit. And so we had some some folks from both sides of the aisle that absolutely think that it's time to reevaluate the federal excise tax. And so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll push that really hard now that, that uh, Congress is back in session. I think that we educated uh, some folks who weren't already aware of these obstacles and that, that O, four-letter word moment that you're talking about. You can see it in their face and their staff, like, ooh, didn't know, didn't know. So, you know, it's education is the first step for folks that that otherwise aren't on board with you. And so that's where we are now. Well, you're, 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 you're making a positive impact that's going to benefit the environment and the American consumer. That's where this is going to come down to. It's going to trickle down to the American consumer and the environment. Jim, in your opinion, what is the future of decarbonized trucking? First off, I think it needs to be all those different opportunities and, and alternatives that we've been talking about, right? I mean, I think we have to start talking about things other than battery electric. And I think that that you're going to have to see those different alternatives in order for the supply chain to actually get the, the, the decarbonization. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen. Or, or, again, you're going to have three times as many trucks and your, 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 your goods that you buy every day are going to go through the roof. So we'll, we'll get there. It's not on the timeline set forth by car. It's, it's a, a slower process, but like we've talked about several times, if you do it strategically, you can saturate certain sectors of the market quicker. And what's the other thing? So you talk about California and the ports and, and all the drage trucks out there. You know, I think they rank around 40th uh, in the country of oldest fleets, or at least percentage of their fleet older than 2010s. If, if you were to look solely at, and I'm, I'm not passing the buck on Drage, because they have some issues with this. I've talked to a Drage operator. He says, hey, Mullen, if I have to go to entirely battery electric, I can do two turns on diesel. I only get one turn per truck on battery electric, so I'm going to have to buy a lot more trucks. And by the way, I'm still waiting for the utilities to juice up my chargers. So it's not as if 
I mean, you have fleets now that today, Grayson, today want to be utilizing these technologies, even though they're not fully tested because they want to be good stewards. They want to do their part and that they're not able to do so because of different issues in the, in the, in the process. So to get back to your original question, what's it look like? It's going to take all, all types of, of fuel power to, 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 uh, satisfy the variant various, uh, applications. And it's going to take some, some very strategic thinking rather than this one size fits all nonsense that we're doing now. We have to explore all options. What you described with dredge, perhaps that's not the solution, but perhaps that, that individuals decide to put in renewable diesel, was able to get access to, that's a positivity. Maybe perhaps dredge only works in certain things or, or port operations become battery electric. We have to, in my opinion, explore all options, not do a one size fits all, test and try. Okay, this works. Well, the economics aren't going to make sense. We're going to go this because the economics make sense and we're helping reduce emissions. That's a positive. We have to try and explore. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution. You can say it to an individual or a family car. Okay, everybody in America must buy a small car because that's the say we're going to do it. Could you imagine the rebellion if, if they said that your cars in America can only have 90 miles, which some individuals want for battery? People will be coming out with pitchforks yeah. if yeah. that nonsense tried. What does the American consumer like more than anything? Choice. You want to drive a big SUV? God bless. You want to drive a Mini Cooper? God bless. You have your choice. America, we run on choices. We, we enjoy our freedom. America is the home of freedom. And what you're describing, what CARB's trying to do, they're taking away the freedom. It is your members and the trucking industry's job, in my opinion, to embrace their freedom and to choose. Jim, as we look to wrap up this insightful conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them? A couple takeaways. One, the, the trucking industry is spending tremendous amount of time and resources. When I say the trucking industry, I just don't mean just the fleets, but entire ecosystem is spending tremendous amounts of time and money trying to, to get to zero emissions. It, and they have a proven track record of being good stewards. I talked earlier about, you know, what one truck in the 1988 is the equivalent of 60 trucking emissions today. So the industry is fully committed to this. And what, what we need folks to understand is a lot of these issues we've been talking about today, it's not the same thing as, as passenger vehicles, even if you wanted it to be, it's not. There's so many different applications in the trucking space that, that battery electric is not a one-size-fits-all. And so there, there needs to be a, a more holistic view uh, and effort on these other options other than battery electric. And we need to start incentivizing those other options today. Right. If, if you would put the time and effort into the bio diesels, the renewable diesels, and the, and the subsidies behind those that we are doing battery electric, we'd make immediate improvement to the environment and do so without tremendous cost uh, to the supply chain and to the end consumer. Well, so then, and for our listeners, I'm going to reiterate this very important point. If you bought it, a truck brought it. And that's very, very important. The truckers are the, are the backbone of the U.S. economy, the trucking industry allows your Amazon packages to show up. They do it. They make it happen. You see a trucker, say thank you. They need the choice to deliver your goods in a cost-efficient manner. And don't forget, they have to run a business that is profitable. Today is tomorrow. Tomorrow is today. The future is clean freight transportation. Jim, thank you so much for coming on SAE Tomorrow Today. Grace, appreciate it, Sean. Yep, love being on. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Be sure to join us next week as we speak with Omar Bar-Yohe, an Israeli entrepreneur, founder, and former CEO of Eviation Aircraft, maker of the world's first all-electric commuter aircraft. 
SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.